me this morning. Turning to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us via the internet. We want to welcome you. And we pray that this time will be a blessing to you. Ruth chapter 3, and our text this morning is going to be verses 1 through 5. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let us hear God's word together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. This ends the reading of God's holy word this morning, and we pray that he would write his truths on our hearts. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for your word. Only in your word do we find life and health and peace. Only here do we see the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is our Lord Jesus that we seek today. And so we pray, Father, that you would work through the Holy Spirit to come and teach us and to lead us and guide us into the truth. We pray for a great transformation in the hearts of your people today. Please, Father, for your sake, come and do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we would all agree that from time to time we suffer from a lack of rest in the hustle and bustle of our world. Sometimes we just go at it too hard for too long, and this can be detrimental to our health, can it? It can wear us down uh, physically, but not just physically, but mentally emotionally, maybe even spiritually. Sometimes we can work so much that our bodies get down and we get sick. And what happens when we get sick? We go to the doctor and the doctor will prescribe some medicine or some kind of treatment maybe, but he will always say this, you need some rest. You need to get some rest. And so we change up the routine a little bit. Maybe we take a day off from work and just maybe go to bed, sleep some more. Sometimes we just have to do that. You've heard the saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Well, it doesn't just make Jack dull, <laughs> but it makes him tired, overwhelmed, 
disconnected, exhausted, and as I said, maybe even sick. And we need to remember that as followers of Jesus, there is a promise to us of rest. Not just of salvation from sin, not just of heaven. Of course, Jesus means those things to us. But there is a promise of rest. I'm thinking of this verse in Matthew 11:28. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus. His invitation to come to him. But often left out is the, the following verse, verse 29, which says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Ah, soul rest. That's what we need. We might need physical rest, emotional rest. We might need to rest our brains, but we need soul rest. And only in Christ can we find rest for our souls. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know this rest? Have you found rest for your soul? Well, we've taken an extended period of time away from our study in the book of Ruth. And so rather than just jump back in, I want to do a quick review with you. Chapter 1 might have had a heading, Exile and Death. You probably won't find that in a lot of your outlines of the book of Ruth, but that's exactly what we see there. If you remember, there's a, a husband and wife, Elimelech and Naomi, who have... Uh, essentially gone into exile. They've left the promised land. They've left Bethlehem. They've gone to a foreign nation, an enemy nation, Moab. And if you remember in the story, there Mo, uh, in Moab, Elimelech died, and his two sons died. But we also recall from chapter 1 that there was this promise of hope and we see their commitment and hope the two sons had married and one of the daughters-in-law Ruth had promised to return with Naomi in fact she had committed herself to Naomi and to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God and so at the end of chapter one we see that Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem and it ends with this note of hope it's harvest time Remember, it had been a famine that had uh, pushed this family into exile. So we get into chapter 2, we see the, the themes of provision and protection. Ruth, under a provision in Israel's law, decides to go out to try to provide for her and Naomi, and she's going to do this by gleaning. Now, what is gleaning? Well, in the law, God had told his people, when you go out to harvest your crops, don't harvest everything. Leave some along the edges. Leave some in the corners for the, the poor, for uh, the foreigner who is sojourning in your land. And so Ruth takes advantage of that. 
But she goes out to glean, and it just happens, just happens to be in a field of a man named Boaz. Now, of course, Boaz is not just some random guy. Boaz is actually a relative of Naomi's past husband, Elimelech. Probably the most revered man in Bethlehem. He's an older man, probably mid-50s, maybe 60. And he's a war hero. He's gone off and fought in battle. He's like an elder of the city. He has lots of property, a man of, of means, but he also distinguishes himself because he is very kind. And he sees Ruth, and he notices her, and he extends kindness to her and says, I want you to, to glean only in my fields. Work with my women. You'll be protected there. Remember, this is the period of the judges. There's lawlessness, and Ruth is actually very vulnerable. In time, Boaz actually recognizes Ruth at a meal, calls her up to come to eat at his table in a great show of kindness he is exceedingly generous to her he gives her extra food he he extends to her special privileges but then nothing really happens and what we find here at, at the end of chapter 2 the last verse says this so she Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest and she lived with her mother-in-law and we could have said at that point and they Ruth and Naomi lived happily ever after the story could be over but here's where it takes a dramatic turn as we come into chapter 3 and before we do that and in preparation for chapter 3 I want to show you how, uh, in an interesting way, it parallels with chapter 2. And, and what this does is it shows us that these things are not just random, but in both chapters we have a scene where Ruth and Naomi are at home in Bethlehem. And then in the middle sections of both chapters 2 and 3, we have Ruth encountering Boaz and in chapter 2, was, it was at mealtime, as I mentioned. And then in chapter 3, it's at midnight. And then both chapters 2 and 3 close with Ruth returning home and reporting the information to Naomi. So what I want you to see is that there's a parallel. This is not just random. There's structure here. It's important for us to see this, is how God is, is unfolding the plan. And uh, by the way, I want to express my thanks to Daniel Block for his excellent commentary in pointing this out. So with that little bit of review, I want us to, to turn now to our text. And in case you haven't picked up on it yet, we're considering this idea of rest this morning. And I have three ideas related to resting in Christ found in our passage and the first is that rest is our great need. This is our great need, this rest that we are speaking of. We've probably been programmed to think the opposite, right? And why is that? Well, we have bills to pay. 
We get hungry. We like to eat. How do you do that? You have money in your pocket. How do you get money in your pocket? You go work. And so we are programmed to think work, less work, lots of work. The more you work, the more you make. So everybody go out and work hard. And work is a good thing for sure. But what I want us to see is that our great need, and I am speaking not just of a, of a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. Our great need is rest. So we're not talking about taking a day or two off from work or taking a, some time away for, for vacation. We're not talking about not being a workaholic. It, it's something else. What is rest in the biblical sense? Well, we're going to work our way through this passage, and I think we'll see something here. First, I want you to notice that there is a, a recognition here, that, that rest is recognized. It is recognized as the need for Ruth by her mother-in-law, Naomi. And of course, in this, this recognition here by Naomi, if we look closely, we'll actually see that there's a, a, a change coming about in her, isn't there? Naomi, she dominated the story back in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, she just kind of slips into the background, right? But there's something that's happening, something that we must notice. She's an older woman. She has, remember, she's lost her husband. She's a widow. She's lost her sons. She's lost any means of provision. She is essentially destitute. She's become very bitter and downcast. Remember, she even changed her name. But something is happening, and what I want us to see is that there is a, a reversal that's taking place. It was Ruth who had been going out and working and gleaning in the fields to provide for her mother-in-law. She had made a commitment to do that. But look what it says there. Uh, it says, should I not seek rest for you? Something's happening, isn't it? Things are changing here. The word seek that Naomi uses in this question carries the idea of provision. And so uh, Naomi is looking at things differently. And we need to see this transformation that is taking place in her. Ruth has been the provider. But now Naomi realizes that in some way she can provide for her and what is it that she wants to provide? What is the provision that, that Ruth needs? It's rest. Should I not seek rest for you? Well, why is this rest needed? What is it that Naomi is talking about here? Well, she recognizes that things have to change. Now, they've made it through the first harvest, and Ruth has gone out. And gleaned, and, and remember, she worked very hard. But I think that Naomi has begun to realize, well, is this, is this life? Is this the future? And specifically for Ruth, is this the future for Ruth? Is she just going to live out her days going out every harvest time and gleaning in the fields? And she's a hard worker, and, and Boaz has been good to her, so we'll have enough, and, and we'll be able to survive 
assuming that the harvest is good. But she says, Ruth is a young woman. There should be more for her. There should be more to her life. She, she's looking for a better life for Ruth. And so she says, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And, and notice, again, the transformation. Her, her focus is not on her. Not on herself, it's on Ruth. Should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you, not us, not me, but you. I was reminded that as we grow in our faith, brothers and sisters, uh, there should be less and less focus on ourselves and more focus on those around us. In fact, we have this in Philippians 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is exactly what's taking place in, in Naomi. Something's happening. This once despondent, bitter woman has a brighter outlook. And it's not for her. It's for this person who has committed her life to taking care of her. And she says, no, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, what is it that she wants for Ruth? Well, the text says, should I not seek rest for you? The word there that is used for rest is more literally a resting place. A resting place. This is what Ruth needs. So we need to, to try to explain. By this, Naomi is not referring to a literal place. She's not saying that Ruth needs a bed, a place to lay her head, an address. Neither is she talking about the, the idea that Ruth needs to be in a situation that she doesn't have to work so hard. Remember, Ruth is an industrious, hard worker. She works. She gets up early. She's the first one there. She works all day. She comes home after dark. It's not that Naomi is, is uh, having pity and, oh, I wish she didn't have to work so hard. No, that's not it. What she wants for Ruth is something permanent, something lasting, something with security, something with a future. And not this go out day to day and glean in the fields and year to year, let's hope the harvest is good and we'll, we'll probably make it. And she'll just be a widow and grow old and have nothing else the rest of her life. No, no, no. There's got to be more for Ruth. If you remember, she had prayed this uh, uh, when she thought that her and Ruth were going to be separating back in chapter 1, verse 9. She says this, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, and that is Ruth and the other sister-in-law, Orpah, in the house of her husband. So how is this rest going to come for Ruth? This is what Naomi has in mind. A husband. It's interesting, isn't it, that Naomi had, had prayed for that? She had blessed Ruth in that way. At the time, having no idea that she would be the person playing a central role in bringing this about. Isn't that interesting how God, how, how things unfold in his plan? <laughs> A resting place. The word rest here 
That's what it means. And one scholar says about the word uh, this, the, the root that we have here signifies not only absence of movement, but being settled in a particular place, whether concrete or abstract, with overtones of finality or, when speaking abstractly, of victory or even salvation. What we must recognize is that what Naomi has in mind is simply what God promises his covenant people. Let's go back a little bit and we'll see this. Remember that God had promised relief from the curse. He had promised this. Now, what is the curse? Well, we go back to Genesis 3. And we remember that that's where the curse comes. And the curse is not work, okay? But the curse is work in a sense of, of working in this fallen world, this world that is broken, and working away from the presence of God, where we are no longer in fellowship with God. And so we find at the end of Genesis 5 something very interesting. There's a man there in this genealogy that's given named Lamech, who has a son named Noah. Anybody know what Noah means? Noah means rest. It comes from the same root that we're looking at here in this word in, in Ruth chapter 3. And so we have here in Genesis 5.29, Lamech called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. That's the promise that Lamech was looking for. That he hoped that maybe this son would bring. Remember, there had been a promise back in Genesis 3 that God was going to send someone to break the curse. And ever since then, everyone was looking. Lamech was looking. By the way, Noah was not the one. But the promise is still there. Naomi is still looking. This promise is only fulfilled in Christ. Amen? And what we see here is that Noah and Ruth speak to us of not a rest from physical work, but an eschatological rest. A rest from the, the turmoil in our souls and in our spirits. Rest for our souls. Naomi wants Ruth to know this rest, something I call family rest. Family rest. Now why? Where would I get that? <laughs> well, I want you to notice something in particular here. Notice that Naomi calls Ruth her daughter. Do you see that? Uh, the writer, interestingly, always refers to Ruth as daughter-in-law. So that's the, the technical thing. That's true. But to Naomi, she is a daughter. And I just wonder if in this transformation that's taking place in Naomi, if she is beginning to see that Ruth is not just this foreigner from Moab who is living here in our land, but someone who's been brought into the family. Someone who's made a commitment to her God. Your people shall be my people, your God my God. 
I wonder if she is beginning to see Ruth as having integrated into the covenant family. And, and even more, notice this in verse 2, is not Boaz our relative? Boaz is not Ruth's relative. <laughs> but Naomi sees her and Boaz in that way. What we're seeing here is the role not just of blood, not just of nationality or ethnicity, but of faith. It is by faith that we come into the covenant family of God. Amen? Well, we must recognize that rest is our great need. But recognition is only the first step. There must be more. And what I want us to see Next in the story here as it unfolds, in the case here of Naomi and Ruth, is that there is a strategy for rest. There's a strategy for rest. Uh, what is God doing? What's God doing in your life? What's God doing here in our church? Well, I have to admit, I, I don't always know what God is up to in my life. I don't always know exactly what's going on. <laughs> But I do know that whatever the Lord is doing, whatever direction He's moving us, we should pray and discern His will. But trusting in the Lord and seeking this rest that He has for us doesn't mean doing nothing. We can't just sit here. <laughs> we must act. We must act in faith. And that often means developing a strategy. Well, how does this work out in our story? Well, I want you to, to see here. We, we mentioned a moment ago faith, Naomi's faith and, and Ruth's faith. And in particular with Naomi, we have seen her grow. And we see here now an expression of a faith that, that is not just concerned for herself, but now she is concerned for Ruth and, and Ruth's future. And this is an expression of trust in God that he will provide this rest for Ruth, a, a life of blessing and security and provision and protection permanently. That's what she wants for. So there's this expression, we, we might even say a confession, but it must be followed with action. We must act in faith. Faith not acted upon, is it even faith? Can your faith be said to be real just because you say you have it? Show me your faith, James says. You say you have faith? Faith is demonstrable, isn't it? Faith doesn't mean to just act blindly. And Naomi doesn't do that and does not instruct Ruth to, but rather she acts in accordance with the facts that are before her. And two facts stand out here. First, I want you to notice that Naomi instructs Ruth to act with regard to Boaz. She mentions this man Boaz, right? She has a history with Boaz. Boaz has shown Ruth kindness. And so... Naomi is instructing her to act in accordance with how God has already been acting. 
Act in accordance with what you have seen God do in history. Not just go find some guy, present yourself to some, some man out there, not some random thing. And then second, Naomi mentions that Boaz is winnowing barley tonight. That's another important fact. I wonder how she knew that. Well, Boaz is the kind of man where I think people know what he's up to. And so Naomi instructs her in this regard. Acting in faith, acting out a strategy doesn't mean to ignore or act contrary to the facts or contrary to what you see God doing around you. We act in accordance with what we see God doing. And that's what we see Naomi and Ruth doing. Acting in faith doesn't mean just do something. No, it, it's here at this moment of crisis that there must be a looking a, a, at the facts. And we must know the situation. But I want to, to point out to you the importance of preparation. The role of preparation. I want you to notice here that, that Naomi does not just tell Ruth, okay, just go to the threshing floor. Boaz will be there. We know he's winnowing tonight and just lay this out before him. But no, there's a there's a step-by-step -step plan and there's preparation on Ruth's part. Well, what does Naomi tell her? Uh, first, she says in verse 3, wash yourself. Now, in our day, we take it for granted that you can take a bath or a shower every day, right? They, they didn't think that way back then. Not to be crude here, but, but that just wasn't an option for them. No indoor plumbing. Sometimes there was lots of water. Sometimes there wasn't. But what's going to happen here is that in doing this, Ruth is going to, to signal to Boaz that this is not just a, a random occasion where she and Boaz are connecting here. The second thing Naomi says is, anoint yourself. So Ruth has to wash herself, but not just wash herself, anoint herself. That is, make yourself smell good. We usually see the word anoint and we think of, of something that's consecrating someone for a, a holy service, but that's not what, what Naomi is saying here. She's just simply talking about the application of perfume. And again, what is this? Well, it's another signal that what is happening is that Ruth is presenting herself to Boaz. Now, as I said when we got to the end of chapter 2, nothing was happening. We, we saw in chapter 2 where, where Boaz had invited her up to the table and he has this meal and he welcomes Ruth, person who was probably the lowest on the totem pole. She comes up to the table. She's exalted. And then Boaz gives her this grain and then he instructs the workers. Now, now Ruth can go uh, straight in there and just gather it up. She doesn't have to go out to the field and, and, and cut and, and work hard. Make it easier for her. She gets special treatment. And so things are building and building, and then we read, and they came to the end of barley harvest. What? <laughs> Nothing happened? Why didn't it happen? Well, probably nothing has happened because Boaz has been respectful to Ruth. She has come back 
She's lost her husband and she's been in this time of mourning. And so rather than take advantage of that and, and move forward, he patiently waits. And again, there's probably a significant age difference. And so Boaz is just, you know what? I'm going to do what I can for her. I'm going to make sure that she has plenty to eat. I'm going to make her work as easy as I can. And in his mind, he's done what he is obligated to do. But Ruth is sending some signals that her time of mourning is over. And Boaz, if you, if you want to move on with this, hint, hint. <laughs> Finally, Naomi tells Ruth, put on your cloak. What's, what's the cloak about? Well, probably a couple of things. This cloak is a, a large outer garment that will provide some secrecy. Uh, you, you put this big wool blanket over you, over your head. Perhaps it has some sleeve-like things. But one can use a cloak to conceal their identity, right? Cloak your identity. That's where we get the phrase from. If you've seen Star Wars, Mandalorian, anything with a Jedi, what do they wear? Cloaks, right? You know what I mean. And so that's what Ruth is going to do. And, and secondly, this cloak... It's like a large blanket. Ruth has got to be ready because if things work out, she may end up getting to stay all night at the threshing floor and it's going to get a little cool and she'll need this to keep her warm. And there's something else that I want us to catch here in, in all of the unfolding of Naomi's plan, and that is the role of discretion. The role of discretion. What do we mean? Well, I want you to notice that in giving Ruth the instructions and how she must prepare, Naomi gives her this information and Ruth is to act, but she does not act indiscriminately. She does not act without discretion. All she can do is express her desire. All she can do is let Boaz know. And things must be done in an orderly way or this plan may fall apart. Again, Ruth can't just show up and lay everything out on the table and say, hey, this is what I want. Remember who Boaz is. Boaz may be an elder in the city. He's a very honorable man, a very revered man. And so you kind of have to, to send some signals, but then let him take the lead. There's a strategy. She must act, but she must act discreetly. Brothers and sisters, we don't force God to act. We make ourselves available. We express our, our desire for him to act, but we don't always know how God will act, and we can't make him act. In Ruth's case, notice there at the end of verse 3, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. The, the end of the harvest was when they winnowed their, their grain. If you know anything about that process, there was a, uh, a real hard area of, of clay that had been stamped hard or perhaps stone called the threshing floor. And they would toss up the grain and the wind would blow away the chaff. 
and the seeds would fall back down. It was a time of, of celebration and, and feasting and praise. There would be people gathered there at the threshing floor, winnowing and feasting, and Boaz being the leader uh, that he is. Ruth can't just run up and steal the spotlight and jump up in the middle and tell Boaz, Hey, I'm available. Morning time's over. <laughs> she must be patient. She must act at just the right time. Uh, remember, she's unlearned in these customs. These are strange ways to her. She doesn't know how, how all this needs to play out, and she's just trusting the carefully thought-out strategy of Naomi. And so she must act, but she must act accordingly. And it's an important lesson for us to see here, isn't it? Faith means action, but it doesn't mean just do anything, do something. As long as you do something, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. You have to think. Observe what's going on. Consider how God has acted in the recent past. And do what's appropriate and prepare, but use discretion. And so Ruth does here. Well, we must recognize our need for rest. We must see the strategy to obtain this rest. And then finally this morning, I want us to consider resting in the Redeemer. Resting in the Redeemer. Uh, let's go back to verse 2 again. And there you notice that Boaz is called a relative. A relative. Now, there's something very important that we need to, to point out. And to do this, I want you to look back at chapter 2, verse 20. If you'll look back there, Naomi, speaking of Boaz, in that verse says, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So there's two different terms there that she uses, both of which are different than the term that she uses here. And the word here means near kinsman and whereas before when Naomi was talking about Boaz what she was referring to is maybe there's an opportunity but as time has gone on and as Ruth has gone through the mourning period and as as nothing has happened yet she realizes that Boaz is not just a redeemer but the redeemer and it's not just now a matter of opportunity, but of obligation for him. Things are about to change. The, the sentence structure of verse 2 is very interesting. Again, referring to Daniel Block, he, he says this, This sentence is not merely emphatic. It establishes this as a verbless clause of identification, which suggests that in Naomi's mind, Boaz is not simply a relative, but the near kinsman who must fulfill the role she has in mind. Boaz is the man, and Naomi has come to see that. And if Ruth is going to have this rest, Boaz is the man who is going to bring it about. He's the one. He's the redeemer. He's near. He's the near kinsman. Now, is the writer here trying to make the point of 
the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't say that for sure, but I can't help but deny it either. The Lord Jesus, the one who brings rest to our souls, is near to us. He has come into this world for us, and the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, puts it this way. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is how Jesus brings us rest. It continues, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is our kinsman redeemer. You see, Boaz was not some way-off, random, distant man. He was in the family. And he wasn't just in the family, and he wasn't just a relative. He was a close relative. He was near. And this is who Jesus is, the one who brings us rest. What a... Glorious message this is, a message of hope that we have here in Ruth. And as we consider these things, I want us to close with just this idea this morning. How do we respond? How do we respond to the message of the hope of the gospel, that we have one who brings rest to our souls? Well, I want us to look at Ruth's response. And it's stated for us very simply there in verse 5. All that you say... I will do. Complete and total obedience. Amen. I just want to point out to you that this obedience is marked in three ways. First, by patience. We mentioned this before where we talked about how Ruth has to act with discretion. She can't just go up and, and unload everything, but, but step by step, listen to the instructions of her mother-in-law. And patiently allow things to unfold on Boaz's time. I don't want to get ahead of us in the story here, but Boaz, he's going to take over. Ruth is just simply being obedient and patient. And not just patient here in this particular instance, but, but what has Ruth been doing for the last several weeks, maybe the last couple of months? What has she been doing? She's just been going out to the field, gleaning, working in the evening, winnowing, going to work day after day after day. And maybe she did, but we don't have any hint that she was dropping any kinds of hints or signals. There is no expression on her part to Naomi of, is this it? Is this the life I've got to look forward to? <laughs> Till I die? Closely tied to that patience is contentment. We don't hear from Ruth, you know, Naomi, I wanted more. <laughs> I wanted more. Sometimes I think we forget where we came from, don't we? And Ruth remembers. I was in a land of idol worshipers. I'm here now in the promised land in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Look at all the grain fields. They're full. Look at this great harvest. 
We were hungry, poor, destitute. I was relegated to go out to the fields and hopefully not get abused. I know, Ruth has been given security. She's been given provision. And we never hear her once complain, is this it? No, there is contentment. And finally, we see commitment. All that you say, I will do. In Hebrew, it's just four words. The speech that is given here with all the instructions and the strategy and the preparation by Naomi is 55 words. And in response to that, Ruth has four words. In English, it comes out to six. All that you say, I will do. Isn't that a beautiful response? Well, may the Lord work in the hearts of his people today to bring us to that place of rest. And may he work in our hearts to bring about complete obedience to his word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven.